0: Once again, this morning, it is grateful to see so many here. It is grateful to see some faces that we haven't seen in a while. We are very, very blessed this morning to be able to be together to worship the Lord, both in this building together as well as in separate homes via the live stream. Scripture says, have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, for that reason, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name, the name that is above all names. The name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11 in the English Standard Version. Today is not only the last day, but also the last Lord's Day of the month of February. Like all other days, when this one is gone, it will never come again. And So I'm grateful to worship God together with all of you this morning. Was during the month of February number of years ago, in fact, 19 years ago that my dad died on February the 1st. At the time of his death, dad had only been a Christian for about three years. But he'd always been a man of integrity, a man who prided himself on having a good name and a good reputation in town. As we repeatedly referenced in our recent Sunday night sermon series on elders. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold, Proverbs 22 and verse one. And so having said that, I asked the question this morning, what's in a name? What's in a name? And the answer is, quite a lot. You see, Your name represents your character. It represents your qualities. It represents who you are. It represents what you've done. It represents how people are going to respond to you. You know anybody, maybe, whose name you hear and you go, oh. Or whose name you hear and you go, oh. (laughs) Just by the mere mention of their name. But more important to our point this morning is this. The question that serves as our sermon title this morning. What's in the name? And the answer to that question is far more than most people could even imagine, possibly ever imagine, even having studied it. But we're gonna do exactly that this morning. I wanna begin this morning by looking As we seek to answer the question, what's in the name? I want to begin by looking at the definition of the Greek word from which we get the English word name. That Greek word is enoma, O-N-O-M-A. Very simple little five letter word. And the Greek word enoma, according to vines, means this. Listen carefully. All that a name implies. Of authority, attributes, character, majesty, power, excellence, reputation, etc. Of everything that a name covers. Think about that. All that the name implies, all that the name contains, all that the name suggests, all that the name symbolizes. For example, You'll recall in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, that when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he said, and you shall have a son, and and said that he needed to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us, Matthew 1 and verse 23. And what a, what a beautiful thing that was, after somewhere around 400 years of silence of the prophets. No prophetic word from God for around four centuries. All of the sudden, the angel announces this, this baby that would be born, this, this Messiah, and says, and his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. Not just, well, his name will be Bill or Frank or, God with us, that meant something. That meant something incredible. That meant something unimaginable. A name carries with it all that it implies, suggests, and symbolizes. That's probably why more people name their newborn kids John and Mary rather than Judas or Jezebel, right? How many have, you know, grandchildren named Jezebel? Nobody? Of course you don't, why? Because of all that that name implies, all that that name carries with it, the reputation that that name has. Same with Judas. This is my grandson Judas. Uh, Not many of us say that, right? There's a reason for that. There's so much more to a name than a name. Speaking of John, the Apostle John bookended his gospel account with references to the name, the name of Jesus. For example, in John chapter 1 and verse 12 in the ESV, it says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What exactly did they believe in? Did they believe in just his name? No, they didn't just believe in his name. They believed in his name, everything that it entails. All that his name implies and contains when it comes to his authority and his attributes and his rank and his power and his majesty and his excellence and his reputation. They believed in the lordship. To all of those who believed in his name, to all of those who believed in the authority that believed that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God, God in the flesh, to those people, he gave the right to become children of God. On the other end of John's Gospel account, we see the same thing. In John chapter 20, verse 31, where once again the ESV says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, watch this, you may have life in his name. Not in him, but in his name. But it means the same thing. In his name. In other words, that you may have life in the fact that you understand, John 20 and verse 31, that he is the Messiah, that he is the son of the living God, and all that that means about his authority, his supremacy, his power, his majesty, and his excellence. It's not that John was saying, well, you're literally gonna have life in his literal, you know, how many ever lettered name, There's no just life in a few letters, but in the greater recognition of and therefore submission to the power and the person and the ultimate authority that God in the flesh brought with him. there is so much more to the name than just the name that could be the slogan for this morning's lesson and i want you to turn this over with me again and again and again this can be seen throughout the scriptures for example god's response to moses exodus 3 3 and following who did god tell moses he was he said tell the people i am now that's a pretty simple statement, isn't it? I am. Who's going out for coffee for the, the workers this morning? I am. No, 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 no. There's a whole lot more to it than that. What did God say when he said, I am? He said, whether you're talking about, this is what it implies, this is the majesty and the power and the authority that that should have implied to Moses, God was saying, no matter when in the scheme of time or before time or after time, I am ever present. Is God God today? Could God say to us, I am God, yes. Could he say to Moses, I am God, yes. If this earth turns another 10,000 years, can he say to those people, I am God, yes. After time has stopped and time is no more and the world is gone, will God still be able to say, I am God? There's a whole bunch contained in tell them I am. There's so much more to a name than just a name. What about Jesus' words in Matthew 6 and verse 9, what some refer to as the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, holy is your person. Holy is your presence. Holy is your authority, your sovereignty, all that you are, your purity, your character, your excellence, holy is all of that. Jesus' words in Matthew 21, 9 said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord Blessed is he who comes with the full authority and excellence and power and majesty of the Lord. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. You know, the disciples themselves were absolutely amazed. You know, you, You'd have thought after a while they'd have run out of being amazed, wouldn't you? But but they never were. Because just when they just when they maybe begin to get a little bit of a grip on something, Jesus would take it up a notch, or a whole bunch of notches. They never cease to be amazed. But in this particular passage, they're amazed at the power of guess what? His name. Because there's so much more to the name than just the name. In Luke chapter 10, verses one through three, it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Send them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. I'm sending you out into this dangerous situation. Look what happens when they return, verse 17. When the 70 returned with joy, wait a minute, you can go out as lambs among wolves, you can go out into danger and come home joyful? That's exactly what they did. They came home with joy. They returned saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Lord, we were able to cast out even the demons. All we had to do was mention your name in your name and he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven behold i give you the authority the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you those that he sent out he said if i may paraphrase you shouldn't really be too surprised at this i gave you authority where was the authority the authority was in his name because he is all authority Don't be surprised that the demons are subject to you in my name, because there's so much more to the name than just the name. Jesus' full authority is behind it. You know, Jesus told his disciples in John 10, 17 and 18 that he had been given authority to lay down his own life and to take it up again. And his complete and willing obedience to do so gave him complete authority and eternal supremacy. And it gave him the name that is above all names because it embodies the essence of of everything that God was willing to go through for us. We saw this in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 that I read at the beginning. We saw it right there. And we also saw in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, the Jesus name, what He's all about, what He would be all about while He was here for us. He would be all about total self sacrifice, voluntary vulnerability, complete humility. Full and faithful obedience to his heavenly Father, even despite the most excruciating pain and suffering and death imaginable. And it was because he was willing to do that, because he was willing to obey his Father right to that point, even to the point of death on a cross, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus all should bow. It was by his sacrifice, That he obtained eternal authority over all things for all time. And not only is his name about all that he was and all that he did for us, it is also about all he continues. Does Jesus still continue to work for you? Does he? Yes, he does. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 tells us that. Jesus' name embodies all of his incredible and limitless power and authority and superiority and supremacy and preeminence. Colossians 1, 15 through 23. So that's the introduction. Because the cornerstone verse of this morning's lesson is actually not Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It's in Acts chapter 4. One of the prime ways that everything I have said thus far in this lesson relates to all of mankind is that when it comes to our desire to be saved, everything I've said so far has a direct impact, a complete impact, on. All of mankind's desire to be saved who truly wants to be. The cornerstone verse of this morning's sermon is in Acts chapter 4, but before we get to the particular verse I want, I want us to first consider the circumstances leading up to it. In Acts chapter 4, verses 1 and following, all the way up through 9, the disciples are brought in before the Sanhedrin, the council, all of them, and they are brought in and and they are asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Verse seven, see, even they that were enemies of Jesus realized the power was in the name. They realized it was more to the name than the name. They realized that that the name of, of whoever it was that they had done this in represented power and authority when they had healed this man in chapter three. Even they understood it. By what power or by what name? Synonyms, have you done this? We know in verse eight, Peter stands up and he lets them know in (laughs) no uncertain terms, saying in verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the power, by the authority, by the lordship, by the excellence, by the supremacy, by the immensity, Of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. He's the reason, not just his name, but his name is representative of who he is. Verse 11, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Boy, Peter, you're pretty brave. No, you're pretty faithful same group that had had Jesus crucified less than two months prior, same group from where Peter denied knowing Jesus out there in the courtyard and had had run off, stands up and he says, oh yeah, by the way, it's by the authority of Jesus whom you crucified. Can't you see Peter just standing there going, he's the cornerstone you guys rejected. Then he makes this statement, which is again, this is our cornerstone verse for the morning. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Don't miss this. This is the message that we gotta get to our religious friends and neighbors. Right here, you want it all? There it is, one, one verse. We get this message to him, we can get the rest of the message to him. There is no other person. There is no other power. There is no other presence. There is no other entity. There is no other authority. There is no other individual. There is no other name or, therefore, system, doctrine, covenant, faith, church, or religious set up under heaven given among men by which we can and must be saved other than the one instituted by and that carries the name and authority of Jesus Christ himself end of discussion. Jesus has all authority and There's no salvation in anybody else or in anything else that anybody else has set up, only Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone. It is all about the name of Jesus. And because of who he is and what he did, and everything else that is carried in the name of Jesus, it is him and him alone who is able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them, Hebrews chapter seven. verse 25 you remember remember what Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6 I am the way the truth and the life no man it's just like Acts 4 no man comes to the Father except through me turn to me in your Bibles to Luke 24 Luke 24, it is all about the name of Jesus. Look what Jesus said after his resurrection, after he had raised himself from the dead. He had said, according to John 10, I have the power to lay my life down and I have the power to raise it up again. And he did. That's what gave him all authority. That's, who, that's, that's where he showed us he was God in the flesh. The only one. After his resurrection in Luke chapter 24 beginning at verse 44, look what it says about the name. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me and he opened their minds that they might comprehend the scriptures and then he said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ the sufferer to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What's he saying? He said look. He opened up their mind and he said look all of these things that just took place in the cross and all, that was necessary look this is just what was written about me by the prophets this is exactly what the scripture says how I was to suffer and to rise up the third day this all happened so that you could go and you could preach repentance and forgiveness by my authority in what I accomplished when I came out of that tomb that's what it means by my name all that I did preach it in my name preach it by my authority preach it because I did come out of that tomb Just like the Bible says, the power and authority to raise himself from the dead, to cause people to want to repent and turn to God, and to forgive every sin they had ever committed is all found inherent in his name, because his name represents everything he is. What an awesome God. Now the Bible says in Acts chapter two and verse 21 and Romans 10, 13 as well, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't it say that? You're familiar with that, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? It's there. And you know, that is absolutely true. Some of our denominational friends, if they watch this far in the in the live stream, or they watch it later on, they may be getting excited. To say, "Yeah, that's right. That's a, whoever calls on His name it will be saved. Yeah, that's right. Everyone who calls upon His name—that is to say, everyone who understands, who recognizes, who respects." and therefore faithfully submits to him as Lord because they know all that his name is about. It's about his authority, his character, his rank, his majesty, his power, his excellence, his lordship. When they are willing to call upon his name, that is, when they are willing to submit to all of those things that Jesus is represented in his name, and they are willing to submit to that authority and reverence, can they be saved? That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. To call on everything he did to submit to him because he was able to accomplish that, because he is God. It's not simply some short, canned prayer that's never seen in the scriptures. Well, okay, Doug, well then, if it, it, what is it then how does one call on the name of the lord we know the answer to that right it's not a it's not a big mystery how does one call on the name of the lord look with me at several texts look in matthew 28. how does one call on the name of the lord how does one call on his authority how does one submit to his authority his lordship his essence his preeminence all that he is how does one do that well matthew 28 18 very familiar text Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, I got it all. Remember this was after he had resurrected himself from the dead. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He wants to make sure they understand that he's got it all. He says, go therefore, go because I have all authority and I'm telling you what to do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How do they call on his name? When they are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When they are baptized because of the authority of Jesus Christ and their recognition of it, they will humble themselves Call on his name and be saved. Acts 22 and verse 16. Please turn there. Even if you can quote it by heart, please turn there. Humor me. Acts 22 and verse 16. Saul of Tarsus. Ananias says to him, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Doing what? Calling on the name of the Lord. How do you call on the name of the Lord? When you arise and are baptized and have your sins washed away. That's how the scripture defines calling on the name of the Lord. Go back to Acts 2, we know it here as well. All of these places tell us how to call on the name, the authority, the supremacy of Jesus Christ in order to be saved. In Acts Acts 2, verse 21, Peter is preaching and he quotes Joel, the prophet Joel. Is saying all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved and he goes on to preach the Lordship of Jesus because he doesn't just say okay say a prayer he says I'm gonna tell you about Jesus and he does and then he gets to the end of his lesson and he tells him in verses 36 through 41 when they ask what must we do to be saved he says you got to repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ in the what the name of You've got to repent and be baptized by the authority of, by the sacrifice of, by the supremacy of the Lord, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because that is what he said. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. We read on as we know in that chapter in verses 42 through 47 and we see that all of those who did that were added to Jesus' church. And, you know, the rest of the New Testament refers to his saved church or group or body of blood-cleansed and forgiven sinners as the church of God, 1 Corinthians 1-1, and or locally as churches of Christ, Romans 16 in verse 16. You see, it's his church, because he purchased it with his own blood, Acts 20, verse 28. It is his church because he is the sole purchaser, the sole owner, the sole savior, the sole head, the sole ruler, and the sole recognized sovereign and authority and king and brethren, there is no other. Ephesians 1, 15 through 23. And because it is Christ's church, people can only get into it on Christ's terms, Matthew 16, 18 and 19. And they do this through the power of his blood when they call on the power of his name, entering into it his way through their recognition of who he is, and submitting themselves to him as Lord, God, and King. You know, another way to look at this. There are several places in the scriptures where, where his disciples, Christ's people, or disciples, or church, are pictured or illustrated as his bride. Matthew 25, one through 13, John 3:29, Ephesians 5:23, Revelation 21. I'll use this illustration of, of Christ's disciples or saved group or church as, as his bride. Let me ask you a question. When a woman becomes the bride or the wife of someone, what does she do as a sign of her love for and devotion to him? What does she do as a sign of her submission to his headship or authority? What does she give as a signal or a symbol to all of the world that she now belongs to that husband? You know what she does, right? She takes his name, right? She takes his name. Think about that. Then think about this. In the same way, those who gladly respond to Christ's love and Christ, did Christ propose to us? Did he make a proposal? Did he? Sure did. We are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. We are to continually confess our sins, 1 John chapter 1, and he will continually cleanse our sins. We are to live faithful unto death. That is his proposal. And he will make sure that our sins get washed away. Isn't that the proposal he made to all of us? See, Jesus gave us a proposal. And those who gladly respond to Christ's love that he showed on the cross, his proposal that we see in the scriptures, and his invitation by saying, yes, I want that. They do that when they are baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. And then what happens? They become a part of his church, a part of his body, a part of his bride and out of their love and honor and devotion and commitment and respect for jesus as their redeemer their savior and their husbandman they do the same thing they take his holy name scripture tells us that in acts chapter 11 verse 26 the disciples were called christians first in antioch we know what christian means right Isn't just some name that we dreamed up, dreamt up, dreamed up, whatever. Isn't some name we came up with. I knew I could get around that. They're called Christians first at Antioch. Well, what does Christian mean? Well, I-A-N is a translation of a Hebrew suffix that means belonging to, amongst other things. Belonging to, so if I'm a Christ, I-A-N, a Christian, I am a Christ belonging to, I belong to, Christ. I've taken his name. I belong to Christ. I am a Christian Christian. With all due respect, I do not belong to Luther. I'm not a Lutheran. No disrespect intended, but I'm not. Can the name of Luther compare with the name of Christ? I'm not a Lutheran. I don't belong to him. I'm not a Mormon, a Presbyterian, a Baptist, a Methodist, an Episcopalian, or anything else. You know why? Because in the Bible, those that belonged to him wore his name, they became part of his bride. And, and another thing, while we're thinking about this is with this illustration, they didn't add any of those names to his name. In Acts 11:26. 26, did they, you see that they were Christian, hyphen, whatever other name you, do you see that? No. There's no such thing as a hybrid or a hyphenated Christian. Who else's name could possibly compare? Who else's name would you like to put next to Jesus because they're just as important? Who else's name would you put ahead of Jesus because they're more important? What other name could possibly add anything to Jesus? What other name could possibly do anything but detract? He's God in the flesh and the sole name by which we must be saved. Is that what Acts 4.12 says? There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name will do it. Gentlemen, how would you have felt when you got married if your wife had said, well, I'm going to marry you, but I want to take an old boyfriend's name? Would that have worked for you? you? you all be okay with that? If there's a man in this room shaking his head, yes, he needs to be poked by his wife. Of course it wouldn't. It's not okay to take somebody else's name when you belong to this one. Because what would that be seen as a sign of? If this woman's marrying this man but she's going to carry an old boyfriend's name, what does that say? That means she's not loyal to her husband. She's not faithful to her husband. It means that her interests are divided and she's more dedicated to this other individual whose name she carries. She's neither fully loyal, faithful, or devoted, or in love with only that one man. Worse yet, here's the worst scenario. Rather than wanting an old boyfriend's name, what about if you've been married 10 years and she decides she wants a new boyfriend's name? You all be okay with that? I don't think so. But let's talk about that in a spiritual sense. Think about this. Christ's established church is in Acts chapter 2. In the first century AD, first century, 33 AD, Christ established his church, his body, his bride. They took his name, didn't they? They were called Christians, right? It's not just Acts 11:26; They were called Christians. Or Christians, they were only called that there first, but there's other texts like Acts 26:28 and First Peter 4:16 where we see the name Christian as well. So they took his name and for many decades they carried just his name. They were just Christians, many decades. Then about 280 years after, Christ established his bride, his body, his church, and they carried just his name and they were loyal and faithful to him. About 280 years later, there was a man named Constantine who took power in Rome. And some of those religious groups decided to no longer because of hardship, but still they decided to be unfaithful to Jesus. They decided to follow the teachings of Constantine rather than Christ. They decided to carry a different name, Catholic, instead of Christian. And they decided to be part of the Catholic Church instead of the Churches of Christ. They were no longer faithful or loyal to Jesus. Martin Luther was born some 1450 years after Christ, and, uh, after Christ established his church. And, and what did people that, that wanted, said they wanted God, what did they do? Well, they began to... Decide that they'd rather be called the Lutheran than a Christian. They put Luther's name over Christ and 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 they became part of the Lutheran Church Instead of the Churches of Christ and they, they put his name first and we could go on with the whole list of people where this happened. John Calvin 1476 years later after Christ established his bride. John Smith founded Baptist Church 1521 years later John Wesley 1670 we could go through a whole list, but there's no need to the, the bottom line is this They were called Christians, they were loyal to Christ, but somewhere along the line, as as the centuries unfolded, the church, in many places, the disciples, decided that Christ's name was no longer that powerful, that being just a Christian wasn't enough, that, that to be called just the Churches of Christ wasn't good enough anymore. And so they changed their name. They changed who they listened to. They changed who they were. And you know, one of the things about it is many of those men, including Luther and Wesley, they understood the significance of the name of Jesus because they very boldly said, don't be called by our names. Luther was big on this. Didn't want his disciples called by anything but the precious name of Jesus. You know what's true of individuals? It's true of groups as well. Those who have accepted his proposal, those who have said yes to him. They've been baptized into Christ. They become part of his bride. They wear his name. You know, that's not just an individual thing. It's a group thing, too, because the whole body is the bride. And so while an individual would be called a Christian, whole groups of individuals would still carry his name and be called Churches of Christ, right? That the way it worked in the Bible? It's exactly the way it worked. Goodbye, these signs and I think, that is so sad. And, and I'm not disrespecting anybody, I'm just being honest. It's not St. Paul's church. It's not St. John's church. It's not St. Andrew's church. It's not Luther's church. None of them died to purchase and establish and reign over the church of our Lord that took his precious blood. None of them did. Do you know that in the first century, even Peter and Paul would not allow that kind of thinking to get a foothold, did you know that? Peter and Paul, when people wanted to make them the the big man on campus when it came to the church, oh oh, oh, no, that's not gonna happen. In Acts 10, 25 and six, Peter goes to Cornelius. Cornelius gonna basically worship him and Peter says, oh no, I'm just, get up, get up, I'm just a man. And when the church in Corinth wanted to begin talking about who was the greatest teacher, whether it was Paul or Apollos or Cephas or whoever it was, boy, Paul shot that down in a hurry, didn't he? You're not being called by our names. We didn't didn't die for the church. Christ isn't divided. Brethren, it is Christ's church. It is Christ's blood-bought, blood-purchased, blood-redeemed, People, we belong to Jesus amen period and that's why we are simply and only individually called Christians that is why we have taken his name and no other that is why we are the churches of Christ we take Christ's name and no other we are the church that loves, takes, honors, reveres, respects, and wears his name today, just like they did in the first century. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, nothing has changed. Is Jesus still Savior? Is he? This means he asks us. Well, come on, people. Is Jesus still Savior? Yeah. Is he still King? Is he still head and Lord and sovereign and God? And we are still his church, and nobody deserves to have their name put above his. I'm not dissing anybody else, but I'll tell you what I am doing. I am elevating the name of Jesus Christ, for there is no salvation in any other, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In the scriptures, it is his name that is representative of the essence and the magnificence and the power and the glory of all of his ability, of all that he did for us, of shedding that perfect blood for us, his attributes, his authority, his accomplishments, his power, his majesty, his excellence, all of those. And we understand that and we recognize that and we bow down before that because we realize that nobody else is worthy. Nobody else is worthy of our love. Nobody else is worthy of our devotion. Nobody else is worthy of us taking their name and submitting to them. And we consider it an honor beyond measure. I'll tell you what, I consider it an honor beyond measure when somebody says, you're a Christian, amen. How much better thing can you be called than a Christian? If you think there's anything, come see me afterward and I'll tell you you're wrong. Just say, I'm a Christian. What church do you go? I go to Christ Church. Which one is that? That's the one in the Bible. That's church that I am blessed to be a part of. I've heard, and I'm so sad, and I've heard of Churches of Christ changing their name the name of Christ is offensive and they've become the this valley church or this community church shame on them I would run out those doors in the middle of services if they dared defy the name of Jesus Christ if you're listening to this lesson this morning and you'd like to learn more about becoming a member of his blood-bought church his bride his body or kingdom if you'd like to learn more about his church over which he is Lord his body, over which he is head, his kingdom, over which he is king, or his bride, over which he is the husband, or about his people, who realize the honor and the beauty and the glory of the name of Jesus Christ and who have worn it since the first century. Remaining faithful and loyal to him and him alone since the first century long before the first man-made division or denomination ever came into existence We'd love to sit down and have Bible study with you wouldn't we church wouldn't you love the chance to study this with somebody don't understand it? Got some head shakes that time it's about time Or if you're here this morning And you'd like to be saved You know what? The only way you can be saved is by, guess what, calling on his name, his authority, his power, calling on his sacrifice, his preeminence, calling on everything that Jesus Christ did for you. That's what it means to call on his name. How do you do that? You do that by being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, by by being put to death that old man of sin with him and being raised to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, by going through that death, burial, and resurrection, that's how you do it. Why? Because Doug said so? Nope. Because the church of Christ showed says so? nope. Because churches of Christ all over the world say nope. But because Jesus Christ, who has all authority, said so, that's why. You can be saved the same way people have been doing it since the first century, just as Saul of Tarsus was commanded to do. In Acts 22 and verse 16 when he was told by Ananias to arise, be baptized, wash away your sins calling on his name as we stand and as we sing.